Hi, and welcome to the 40 and Infertile podcast. I'm your host, Victoria, at 40 and Infertile on Instagram. I'm a fellow IVF patient, and this is where I share with you my fertility journey in my late 30s and 40s, while also providing you information to minimize your fertility struggles later in life. Hey, 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 this is episode six, and today I had the pleasure of having Dr. Zahir Murphy on the show, and we discussed all things PRP and um, being over 40. And I have to tell you that I totally messed up because apparently I cannot add or subtract, and I goofed on scheduling. So Dr. Murphy's in New York, he's East Coast time, I'm in California, I'm West Coast time, and I just totally sent him the wrong information <laughs> for our um, session. And um, I feel really terrible about it. And um, he was totally on time, ready to go, sent me a message, was like, okay, I'm logged in. I'm ready to go. And I'm like, oh, I don't have you down for this time. And I looked and totally my fault. I totally like scheduled it wrong. So um, thank you, Dr. Murphy, for <laughs> being patient with me. Um, and not only that, but he gave up his dinner. Um, he didn't get to eat dinner to like 8.30 at night. I mean, you'll probably hear it at the end of this episode. This poor guy was like starving. So um, I feel really bad about it. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your patience, Dr. Murphy. Um, but let me give you some background. Um, I met Dr. Murphy through Dr. Amy, the egg whisperer, and she introduced me to him because I was struggling with egg quality and egg quantity. Um, and she thought maybe PRP would be a good option for me to consider. Um, and Dr. Amy is totally just so wonderful for this reason. I was not prepared um, and I wasn't at the moment where I felt like I was ready to give up on my own eggs. And um, as long as I was willing to try, um, she definitely was willing to try. And the gears in her head start spinning and she starts spitting out ideas for you. And I am just so grateful that she believes in my fertility and that she believes in me. And she's just honestly, you're, when she says you're, she's like your best and biggest cheerleader, she is not kidding. Um, and she definitely is there for you. So I am so grateful for her for this um, introduction um, into PRP and Dr. Murphy. And um, just a little thought, if you don't follow the Egg Whisperer, um, it would be a really good idea to do so. She has so much great information. I actually followed her and um, listened to her podcast before working with her. Um, I listened to her podcast because my first fertility doctor just didn't get a lot of information from my first round. I just, I mean, I still don't know what I'm doing, but my first round, um, I was just completely clueless. I didn't know anything and um, I didn't really have a resource. And so um, I was actually talking to a friend of mine about egg freezing and I told her, you know, at your age at around 35, like I'm, I'm like, please don't be me. <laughs> I'm like, don't be me. Freeze your eggs, get that done. And she ended up doing some research, found Dr. Amy. And then she told me about our podcast. And so I started like binge listening to it because I'm like, oh, this is the information I'm looking for. So if you're trying to find out more information, you want to learn more about the whole process and all the different things out there, um, definitely um, listen to uh, Dr. Amy, add her egg whisperer show to your list of things to listen to. Um, it's really great. Okay. So a little background about PRP. Um, so what exactly is PRP? 
Um, PRP stands for platelet-rich plasma. And basically what it is, is you're taking components of your own blood and they're getting spun down. So blood is drawn out of you. Um, They take it back in the lab, they spin it down, separate the components, and then they inject those things back into your ovaries. So this is a super, super bare minimum explanation of what PRP is. Dr. Murphy does a much better job than I could ever do (laughs) at explaining this, but I just wanted to give you just like the tiniest little background about it um, so you go into the episode um, knowing a few things. Um, There have been a few of us um, online, particularly on Instagram, that have been um, doing PRP and that have been um, somewhat um, open about it. Um, at Lucky Baby Lamb and at Cute for Fertility are two of the ones um, we all did our PRP um, at around the same time, and um, we all went to the same doctor. So we went to a doctor on the West Coast. Um, but I'll be honest, after listening to today's episode and knowing that there are some differences in approach, um, if my next cycle isn't successful or doesn't have a favorable outcome, then I'll probably head over to Dr. Murphy and try his technique, and he'll kind of describe it in the episode as well. Um, so make sure you listen for that. But um, on my in my bio are um, links, and there will be links to um, a few different things. So it will be links to... Um, the posts by at Lucky Baby Lamb and at Q for Fertility, their experiences, my experience, um, and then a few other um, things. I there may be even a research paper up there, although I might update it after today's um, discussion with Dr. Murphy. He gave us some um, research papers to look at if we wanted to. Um, so I, I may put them up too. Um, our conversation today had so many different nuggets of wisdom. Um, there was so much we talked about. We talked about research um, around PRP, and we talked about um, what it's like to be 40, so what happens to our fertility at 40, and some things we have to think about um, at 40. So um, it, there was a, a lot of different things about um, – well, half of it was about um, PRP itself, and there was a small little portion where we talked about – some up-and-coming procedures and maybe some alternative procedures. Um, we didn't have time to go over all of them in detail. Dr. Murphy said that he would come back for us to talk more about some of these other things. So hold your questions. Um, he will be coming back. We'll go over that stuff as well. Today, we mostly focused on um, PRP. Okay, so let's talk about what's coming down the pipeline for the podcast. Um, I've been working super hard behind the scenes and have some really great guests um, that are going to be joining us um, in the future. So please stay tuned. If you don't follow or subscribe, please do. You'll get an alert when new episodes come on. Um, On my Instagram too, I've been putting every couple weeks, I'll put um, stories up with a lineup of guests that are coming on. So... um, Please, 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 um, if you would like to see who's coming on next, uh, make sure you follow. And um, I hope you guys find value in the podcast. If you do, I just have a huge favor to ask. If you could please, please, please leave me a five-star review or a written review on whichever platform you're listening on, it would be so helpful. Um, This way, we're able to get this information out to more listeners. And the more listeners that hear, the more information they get, and hopefully they have a better experience with um, preserving their fertility or their IVF experience or anything like that um, for the future. So um, please, if you can, um, do that if you found some value in 
any of my episodes. Um, okay. The other thing is I want you guys to keep asking me questions. I got some really great questions for Dr. Murphy for the PRP episode. I think I'm going to keep this feature in the future in my stories. So um, I'll put up a post usually asking for questions. Go ahead and post. Um, I'm playing around with an idea of doing like a live question and answer kind of thing um, while I'm recording the podcast with the guest. So that might be something that um, I'll do. I haven't figured out all the details or the logistics around it, but I'm, I'm thinking about it. So stay tuned. I'll keep you posted. Um, okay. Couple more things before we get on the episode. I know, I know, I know. I say I have a lot of things to talk about, which is why I'm talking so fast because I know that you guys don't want to hear me. You want to hear Dr. Murray. So I'm trying to get through all this. Um, okay. One other thing that is super important, I just want you to know I am not a physician and the information provided today is for educational and informational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. So make sure that you're talking to your own fertility doctor before choosing any medical therapies that can affect your fertility. Everyone's situation is totally unique and different, so it's super vital that you contact your personal uh, fertility doctor to discuss your situation and to decide what is the best course of action for you. So super important, make sure you talk to your fertility doctor and that um, that you have their support and that you're working together. Um, okay, I think that covers all the logistics. So Dr. Murphy, thank you, thank you, thank you for taking care of all of us who are over 40. And thank you for pushing the boundaries of what we can do so that the 40-year-olds of the future don't have to struggle like the 40-year-olds of today do. So thank you so much for your work. Um, okay. I always talk too much. I know. I do this every time. I'm so sorry. Okay. Without further ado, here is Dr. Murphy. <laughs> Hi, Dr. Murphy. Hi, Victoria. Thank you so much for having me here. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for joining me today. I'm so glad that you were able to make time to be here. Um, I think we have a super important topic to talk about today, and I want to thank you so much for um, having uh, the time to share your expertise on PRP with us today. My pleasure. You should, you should thank Dr. Amy, the Egg Whisperer, for, for introducing us to each other. Yes, yes, I know. With <laughs> yes, without Dr. Amy, I don't know where I would be. Number one, and number two, she like she has all these wonderful people in her life that I also got some access to. <laughs> so I'm I'm very very grateful for her. So yes, yeah, shout out to Dr. Amy yes. Egg Whisperer. We both love you. Love her. We love her. She's like she's like my. My West Coast soulmate, if you want to call it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. Um, so I want to start off with just kind of um, how you got into fertility and how you got into the space um, with working with women um, and um, just kind of medicine in general. Yeah. Look, I mean, honestly, um, um, in, for, for medicine, I come from a family where we actually you know, I come from Lebanon where, you know, you have to be either a doctor or a lawyer or, or you know, otherwise you're not successful. I'm, I'm being honest with you. So I have me and my two sisters are also doctors. So three out of four kids. Uh, one of them is an OBGYN in Chicago. One of them is a nephrologist in Rhode Island. And I'm an OBGYN. 
So it, in the beginning, when you're young, it's a little bit harder to kind of know, is this the right thing? You know what I mean? You get confused. It's hard. It's hard. Trust me, I have my stepdaughter now. She's applying for colleges. And it's, it's very, I'm finding it, it's like, which college, which feeds so many things. So, but, you know, my sister is a gynecologist and I kind of watched her a couple of times and stuff like that. And I really enjoyed OBGYN. And I honestly love love children. I always loved children and dogs since my since my uh, childhood. So I thought delivering babies and it was it was really amazing. So I did OBGYN practice, delivered a lot of babies, and then I during my OBGYN residency and training and practice, I saw a lot of patients who have infertility. That to me was very very interesting. There's a lot of big unknowns. So I did then fellowship another three years uh, for in reproductive, reproductive endocrinology and infertility. And honestly, I, I, I can tell you, I, I love my job, especially when, you know, there's success and the children, the babies come after they're born and they visit me and I take pictures. It really makes my life all worth it. It makes my job worth it. Um, so, so that's, that's basically in a nutshell. And the, I love this field because, you know, not, just we there's a lot that we need to do i think in order to move this field forward there's a lot of unknown why some people have challenges, why some patients can get pregnant even though they had children in the past why it's it's puzzling and i love the research part of it right and i actually train fellows i'm a fellowship director at state and mama here in, in new york so um I just enjoy the, the day-to-day learning, educating, and research as well, in addition to helping patients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I see these posts on your Instagram where all these babies come back and visit you. And for you to physically hold them must be I love like such a joy. I love it. Like one, some kids I want to steal and take home with me. <laughs> <laughs> no. You know what? Depending on the day, I think sometimes the parents. I had a patient with twins a few weeks, a few months ago. I'm like, yeah. Like, why do you need two? I'm like, I love them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I know. I'm sure on some days, on like rough days, they're like, yes, please. Can you just for a few hours, can you take them so I can sleep? So I love that. Careful. Careful what you say. You might have a house full of babies. I don't know. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Well, that's so great. So. A large part of my audience is 35 and over. And so can we talk a little bit about the struggle between, like, say, 35, 40, and 41 and over? What what are the differences that we see and what are the struggles that these women will face in those age groups? What do you see? Well, first of all, a lot of those – first of all, I applaud all these women who are trying and they're above 35 and 40, um, you know – for not giving up and and you know um with women i'm very proud of women in general you know there's women awareness day a few days ago and you know how they're, they're more successful than men and they're achieving so i'm really really proud and you know what with with the fertility uh, i'm also proud of the fertility treatments that also have been so much better than it used to be look and I always tell some of my patients when they say, oh, my God, I am 40 and I'm old. I'm like, what are you talking about? Look, when, when, when someone was 35 and, and want to have children 10 years ago, they would say, oh, my God, your, your geriatric pregnancy, whatever they call them, or advanced maternal age. Now, 35, 35 in the IVF world has had the 
some of the best prognosis. Because look, women fertility, uh, undergoing fertility treatment, they're divided into five groups. Mm-hmm. Less than 35, 35 to 37, 38 to 40, 41 to 42, and 42 plus. Mm-hmm. Also, so, so I always remind patients, you know, I hate categorizing, I hate percentages, I'm being honest with you, but sometimes it makes us feel realize that these groups were separated by the CDC and by the SART, which we report our pregnancy rates to, because the pregnancy rates is different in, in, in any age group. Having said that, women above 35 and even 40, a lot of them, you know, struggling with equality slash quantity, right? Why? Because some of them, you know, they were never told, for example, freeze eggs or they didn't know about I see this all the time. I wish my doctor told me about freezing eggs 10 years ago. Yes, yes. And that pisses me off, not because, it's just because we've been, 2012, we started the ASRM, which is the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, said egg freezing is not experimental anymore. There was egg freezing before 2012, but 2012, they said it's not experimental. Clinics should do it. Then they should, you know, we should have pushed more awareness toward everybody, primary care doctors, general OBGYN, even gynecologists and oncologists and all that, to mention it to patients to freeze eggs. Because as until now, there's a lot of women don't even know what egg freezing is. Yes, yes. So, so we need to increase awareness. And this is what, in my opinion, we should start. We should start mm-hmm. by telling children in, uh, in middle school, they teach them about condoms and safe sex. You, know, mm-hmm. you should teach them about reproductive aging and menopause and say, listen, you, if you have a period, doesn't mean you're gonna, you can get pregnant at any time. You know, if you have a period or you might go in menopause even earlier than 40 years old. So understand that a productive system is not just sex and STDs and all that. I really think that we should start there. I also think that every pediatrician, when someone graduates from pediatrician to to go to adult primary care doctor at age 16, I believe so. The last visit should be talked about reproductive health and age reproductive aging, because mm-hmm. the, the reproductive system or the the, the less, mostly ovarian ovarian function and fertility it peaks at age twenty six, mm-hmm. and then it starts dropping since then. So twenty six is the highest peak. Drops, drop, drop. After thirty five, it drops significantly. We should talk about this. Yes. Because a lot of people think, oh, my God, even if I'm 50 and I have a regular period, I can get pregnant on my own. No, we, it, you might, but, but let's, let's talk more about the biology and stuff like that. So I genuinely think we should change the culture and talk more about it. And listen, I also th- believe mothers should talk to their daughters about menopause and symptoms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jokes say, you know, I, I remember in retrospect when I was studying menopausal symptoms in mm-hmm. my head, why my mom was always hot all of a sudden and she's cranky because she was having hot flashes. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> tell sisters and tell yeah. you know, educate us, but they're embarrassed by it. It's like, oh my God, I'm a, it's a taboo. I'm running out of eggs and I'm menopausal. And so, so it's, it's, it's a, it's going to take a long time, I think. But if we start there, I think we will we will have a lot of women who are age thirty five and forty 
understand at much earlier age the reproductive system and how it functions so they can freeze eggs or whatever it is in order not to be in situations where it becomes much harder. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You're singing my song. Like (laughs) this is because I, I am one of those people who at, you know, at 36, I asked my OBGYN for an AMH because I just was like, well, I'm 36. I just had a miscarriage. You know, I'm like, how much time do I have? And her, her answer to me, which I will, I will never forget. Her answer to me was, oh, I was 37 when I had my first one. You don't need to worry about it. It's fine. I'm sorry. I know. I know. I mean, I, I will never forget that conversation. And I've heard so many other similar stories. And a lot of us are saying the same thing. Nobody told us. And I feel like, so my thought was, I love your idea. I love the idea of starting because I think one, we don't talk about it. And I think number two, um, when we talk about it more, it becomes less taboo because right now it's taboo. It's like egg freezing. We don't really talk about it or only certain people do egg freezing or something. You know what I mean? And I feel like if we have that conversation about it sooner, and I know the current recommendation is 35 or under a year of trying, and if you aren't successful, then you seek help from a fertility specialist, or if you're 35 and over, six months or more, and then you see uh, help, right? And so uh, my thought was, and I I don't know. I I just want to add to what you said. Yeah. But also, if someone doesn't have a period because they have PCOS for a year, for for over six months, you mm-hmm. shouldn't wait a year. Mm-hmm. Clearly, there's a mm-hmm. yeah. So, I, yes, wait a year if everything is fine, but don't wait a year or even six months if, for example, the period is not coming, or a man has history of not, you know, understand the testicle mm-hmm. and the past kid, uh, or when you know. He had tried with previous partners, didn't work. Maybe he has no sperm. So mm-hmm. I just want to add to you. You're yes. absolutely right. I don't mean to be rude, but no, I just no, want to no. add to you for increasing more awareness about among women that, you know, there are certain signs that should trigger you to see a fertility doctor sooner than six months or a year. Yes, yes. And and part of it is I, I wish I would have known sooner too, but, um, you know, in addition to, I think, educating um uh, women, or maybe even men, I don't know, um, but people um, earlier, is that in addition, and I think um, Dr. Amy talked about this too, um, where we should make it part of our normal screening. So when you go in to get a pelvic exam or get a pap smear or whatever, why don't we have that conversation about you know, family planning. And they say technically they do, but the conversation usually is, do you need birth control or do you need a refill or have you considered? The conversation isn't, you know, what is your, what are your thoughts on future family planning? Because at this time in your life, this is what your fertility might look like. And this is what you might be able to do like egg freezing or something like that to help preserve fertility in the future, if you end up needing, you know, additional help in the future. But if you're goal-oriented, career-oriented, a large physician population actually deals with infertility because of the dedication to 
your work and practice. And, you know, it, I get so worked up, you know, just like you do, because I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't know. And I just want people to know that there are things you can do. So look, you and the claim are absolutely right. It should be part of every assessment, in my opinion. Um, And also, it's also important to counsel women that if your ovarian reserve today is excellent, it doesn't mean it's going to be the same in six months. I've seen women go from AMH of four to AMH of 0.4 in six months. Oh, my gosh. So we have to be careful. We need to tell them this is what you are right now. Mm-hmm. Your numbers are good or low or whatever it is. If it's low, act immediately. If it's good, don't wait either because it's like, you know, you don't, it's like I compare it to stock market, which is a horrible thing. You might yeah. wake up and wake up, everything's up. So you don't know. And I've seen patients with very good ovarian reserve who went to early menopause because some women spend eggs more than others. Mm-hmm. And they go into menopause earlier. Mm-hmm. So if you have a twin sister, mm-hmm. you can be born the same day. Same, let's say you have same ovarian reserve. Mm-hmm. If you are spending more eggs per month than your sister, you're going to go into menopause earlier than her, even though you're born with the same number of eggs. So today's AMH does not mean anything for the future. Act age is the most important thing, right? Age, age. That's why when you look at pregnancy rates, age is the most important factor. I have patients who have undetectable AMH, close to zero, undetectable. They're young, and I'm like, I'll get you pregnant. Don't worry. And we do have babies. So it tells you quantity. It doesn't tell you quality. Mm-hmm. Right? The quality is mostly linked to age, genetics, your health, health, life, health style. If you smoke, most likely, you know, more likely you have bad, worse egg than someone else, etc. So those things also should be, you know, emphasized as well. Because some patients, I see patients who are 40 years old and like, AMH is five, I'm fine. No, you, I don't want you to wait longer if you have good reserve. Quantity and quality are not the same. Quantity, I might have a dozen of eggs in my fridge. They're all bad. I cannot make breakfast. You have two eggs in your fridge and they're good. You can make breakfast. Oh, you're better than me. So just, just wanted to kind of make, and also I always tell patients, I'm, we're treating humans, not numbers. Numbers are important. I'm not under AMH or anything. I love those. But focus on the person as a person and their age and all that in addition to the numbers. It's complimentary. Yeah. So what are your thoughts, since we kind of talked a little bit about um, egg freezing, what are your thoughts about freezing eggs over 35? I freeze eggs at any at any age. I have no cutoff for freezing. Even like at 40? Would you freeze eggs at 40? I would freeze at 45. Oh. Why not? Okay. Let me ask you something. Egg freezing patients don't have infertility. Mm-hmm. Infertility, by definition, is someone who had sex for over a year or six months, like you said, and not get pregnant. Mm-hmm. But women who are doing egg freezing, imagine I am a single woman, I'm 45. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. haven't tried with the man yet. Why mm-hmm. I can't freeze my eggs? If she has, if I have sex with mm-hmm. a man, I'm protected, I may get pregnant. I get pregnant mm-hmm. in the mid-40s. We only Mm-hmm. ones in about 40. A lot of women are born or have babies above 40 every single day. So her eggs might be great. She's not infertile. Mm-hmm. So I respectfully disagree with anyone who puts cutoff for age freezing 
because that person still have good eggs and mm-hmm. both not. Look, you could be 40 years old, right? Let's mm-hmm. say 42. Mm-hmm. You're going through IVF. Mm-hmm. If you're egg retrieval, your husband or partner or whatever could not produce because he was under a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. Or he had to go for work the morning of. Mm-hmm. And we suck the eggs already. What would we do? Mm-hmm. We freeze them. We wait yeah. for him to come yeah. back or produce all them and fertilize. Mm-hmm. That was every day. Mm-hmm. So what's the difference between that and freezing mm-hmm. eggs? Would you freeze more, though, when someone's older for quality? Because... Look, again, we, we, we should not confuse infertile women with, with fertile women. And I can okay. tell you that AMH... AMH and a lot of a lot of the the, the the ASRM and others did not they did not use AMH. Sorry, some of my phones ringing. But they did not use AMH as criteria or recommended for everybody because AMH level or the reference was extracted or made from women who have infertility. So women who don't have infertility or single or lesbian or mm-hmm. You can apply their AMH into that level. If I don't have infertility and my AMH is less than one, it might mm-hmm. not mean that it's bad. That's why mm-hmm. you were saying we should do it for everyone. So there's pros and cons for everyone, for everything in life. Because that, if I bet you, if you draw AMH, a lot of women who mm-hmm. got pregnant naturally, they probably have detectable AMH and had babies already. They don't know it. Because we don't come to fertility clinics because they don't measure AMH. Mm-hmm. So we have to have a two criteria or we need to have a reference of AMH for infertile women and we have to have AMH level for fertile women. Yeah. And I'm not aware of anybody who have a reference AMH from fertile women because they don't come to the clinic and mm-hmm. you don't measure the AMH. I don't know if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. You're saying that people who are fertile, they never seek the care of a fertility specialist because they're fertile. Exactly. So, so we just never exactly. know. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And as far as evidence, and you like evidence-based medicine, there's yeah. only one study that I'm aware of, at least, published in JAMA, mm-hmm. which is one of the best journals in the world, that looked at AMH and fertile compared to infertile women. And they actually, those both groups had similar uh, women... Let me be up. Women who are not known to be infertile with AMH that's good and low AMH, they both got pregnant at the same rate. Mm. There's no difference. So there's not enough evidence to just get an AMH regularly on everybody mm-hmm. yet. Okay. okay? I have to be very careful. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm mentioning this because we talked about evidence-based medicine and as of now, and I, I get a lot of patients coming from their primary care doctor, and they say, um, sorry, my dog is barking. He's, he gets jealous. <laughs> he gets jealous when I ignore him. Kobe. <laughs> so um, a lot of women coming to my office saying, Dr. Murphy, my AMH is low, and they're crying because their OBGYN said, oh, my God, you're running out of bed, you're menopausal. It's not really accurate because mm-hmm. you might have AMH of 0.5, and it might stay 0.5 for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Or an AMH of five and might turn out into zero in six months. Yeah. Back to the decline in or spending eggs. 
some women spend less than others. Mm-hmm. There are studies looking at the MH in African American compared to Caucasian. Mm-hmm. African American at the same age group, same age, mm-hmm. they have lower AMH than white women. Mm-hmm. But guess what? Their drop in AMH is much slower than white people. Mm-hmm. So even though they have lower, they actually. Mm-hmm. Their curve looks different. It looks different. They yeah. lose and their AMH dropped slower than white people. Mm-hmm. So, again, back, there's so many things we still don't know. Yeah. But at the end of the day, counseling, like you said, knowing more is better than not knowing. Yeah. And at the end of the day, act on these eggs. Don't wait, regardless of what your AMH is today, mm-hmm. because the numbers will get worse with time and we don't know what's going to happen with time. Yeah. So if you get to, let's say, you know, someone gets to an OBGYN or someone and they encourage them not to freeze eggs at a certain time frame, then it sounds like maybe they just need to find a different fertility specialist to go to who might want to freeze their eggs at an older age. If, if the, if they're, if their fertility specialist is saying, you know what, you're, I don't think it's a good idea to freeze over 40, then maybe get a second opinion. Would you, would you recommend that? Wherever you go, I think you should see more than one opinion, more than one opinion, no matter what you go. If you go to, uh, that's, that's me. And mm-hmm. I always tell my, listen, mm-hmm. you should see other fertility doctors. Maybe mm-hmm. it's important to see multiple, multiple, uh, 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 opinions, um, look, I tore my ACL skiing a few years ago. I was going to go. I went to Columbia University. They wanted to put me to surgery right away. The day before my surgery, I went to HSS. Mm-hmm. And they did the exam and said it hits by itself. Thank God. I didn't get for a second opinion. I would have had surgery. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what was going to happen. I, I'm scared of surgeries. So why not? But all I can mm-hmm. tell you is I respectively disagree when they say mm-hmm. you shouldn't freeze your eggs about 40. Because a lot of patients who froze eggs about 40 and they have children yeah. right now. Yeah. And I I also want to talk to, I saw your like three minute whiteboard with Dr. Murphy on Instagram. And there was, I, I forgot to tell you about this earlier, but I feel like we need to have a conversation too about this three person IVF thing. Uh, today we won't because there's already, we already have so many like exciting things to talk about, but I'd love to talk later because I saw that thing on the three person IVF thing and I know you said you thought that was probably going to happen within the next five or so years. So I think so. We can talk about it if you, whenever you want. You know, we can talk about this. We can talk about at home IVF. Oh my gosh. Kit. We can talk about so much. <laughs> but the reality is, yes, yes, mm-hmm. is going to be the future, in my opinion, the next five years. And that's why I tell patients, even if you're about forty, freeze your eggs. Because one day you're going to say, why did nobody told me that I can do a three-parent baby and use my DNA from that egg mm-hmm. into the cytoplasm of a donor egg to make my own baby? Mm-hmm. You know what? We should start talking about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we'll get back to that because I'll just, I'll just go down this rabbit hole of like really interesting stuff. So, okay. So Dr. Amy, as I said, introduced me uh, to you because um, she recommended for me um, PRP because I'm older, I'm 41 and I have- uh, You look at 21. Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) 
I don't, can you tell my ovaries that? Because my ovaries don't believe you. My ovaries think I'm 65. So um, I have low, uh, low AMH. So right now it's lower. I, I just got it rechecked and it's um, 0.7. It was one um, just a few months ago, actually. So like you said, it just, you know, it took a hit. And um, I also have poor egg quality. So she had recommended um, PRP to me. And I, before she said anything, I had never heard anything about it. I didn't know anything about it. Um, and um, I was wondering if maybe you can kind of tell us a little bit more about PRP, um, what you know about it and kind of the data around PRP. So PRP or platelet rich plasma is basically, it's a, you know, we take blood from your arm, we extract that layer that has the platelet and plasma, and then we go vaginally and inject them inside the ovaries. Now, PRP didn't start for ovaries, okay? It's been used for decades for hair loss, for um, you put in the scalp hair, hair follicle starts to grow, and used by athletes for also for joint injuries and knees and ankles. Uh, it's used by dentists to heal more um, grafts and stuff like that in the jaws. It's used so many things, vaginal rejuvenation, so many other things. Now, the Greek people 10 years ago said, well, if it's growing hair follicles, let me put them in the ovaries. Maybe they grow ovarian follicles. They were right. So, um, yeah, so look, the PRP has growth factor, human growth hormone, all those things. And for those who are skeptical about PRP, I recommend you go to PubMed, P-U-B-M-E-D, and click PRP and ovaries in the search box. And this is where all the medical journals published articles, and they are all peer-reviewed, okay? And there is studies in animals, humans, lab, where they treated PRP from the ovarian follicles. They took ovaries of, men- of women having surgery for, let's say, fibroid removal. They want to take out everything, uterus and ovaries. They took ovarian follicles, put them in a dish, and then some follicles they put with PRP, some they didn't give PRP, and they observed them over days. And the ones that were treated with PRP, they were much healthier looking at them under the microscope in the lab. There are studies where they looked at mice. They put mice into menopause by twisting their ovaries. They call it ovarian torsion. So they ischemia, meaning blood flow stopped going to the ovaries. And then they give them PRP. And also it revived a lot of the eggs on this, on this mice, surviving. There is studies in, in, in humans too, where they did injected PRP in even postmenopausal women or women with early menopause. And those women were able to get pregnant and deliver babies, not just get pregnant. So look, the evidence is compelling. Are there randomized trials? No, until, but a lot of time, it's hard to do a randomized trial. A lot of patients ask me, is it better to do day three embryo or day five? Or PGT, there's a... The way to answer this, Victoria, is for me to take two embryos from Victoria. Day three, I put one in Victoria's uterus and one in the incubator and see which one does better. And see if this one makes a blastocyst or this one makes a blastocyst. Well, I can't see Victoria's uterus, what's happening inside it. So there will never be a randomized trial comparing day three embryos to day five in the uterus versus that's why we, so what I'm trying to say is it's, it's not, it's not, I'm not saying for the PRP is not easy. You could do randomized trial, What I'm trying to say it takes time, energy, money, all that. But even randomized trials, they have flaws. Look at the 
WHI, Women's Health, Women's Health Initiative, years ago, they did hormone replacement therapy for postmenopausal women. They assigned them to two groups, one hormone replacement therapy, one not. The group with hormone replacement therapy, they had higher risk of brain can- of um, heart disease and breast cancer. But guess what? A lot of experts came, review, re-reviewed that study after being published, and they said it has tons of flaws, and they reject the conclusion. And there's a recent study, recent, I'm talking about the last few years, it's called KEEPS, K-E-E-P-S. And they much better designed, and they actually found the opposite. We used aspirin for years for heart disease, right? Heart disease for years. Maybe aspirin, maybe aspirin. But there's a lot of study that a lot of men, older men, who took baby aspirin, they actually had more hemorrhage in their brain and GI bleed, and they actually wanted to die earlier. So you know what? And that's a randomized trial. So what I'm trying to say is there is randomized trials and there is science, mm-hmm. but also people are people, and you can't just do something because a randomized mm-hmm. trial said so. I, mm-hmm. I hope I make this up. Because with trials, even in the people who did not do better than the other, there are still some people who did fine. You can't just ignore that. You know what I mean? Let's say the medication A and medication B mm-hmm. for the hypertension. Well, B is much better than A, right? Lower blood pressure is better than A. But A still helps a lot of people. So I still consider it. doesn't mean it's bad. So... You know, and that's that's mm-hmm. the nice thing about evidence-based medicine. It evolves every day, mm-hmm. but there are tons of studies on PRP. If you have any doubt, you need to go to PubMed, read about PRP, happy to, to provide any papers mm-hmm. for anyone who has questions mm-hmm. about PRP and it's a figure. But all I can tell you with my experience, with Dr. Kelly's experience, with a lot of people's experience, PRP works like magic for some patients. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work like others. Why? Mm-hmm. We don't know. Back to the ethnicity and mm-hmm. genetics and all that, they all play a role in everything in life. And I don't know, no one knows why the vaccine was good for some people better than others, why COVID killed some people and other people didn't even know they had COVID. No one knows. So I know people who were healthy and died from COVID. Some people, you know, very sick, didn't die, from, didn't even know they had COVID. Why? I don't know. So it's not black and white. Yeah, I think. Um, no, I keep talking. And I'm not letting you talk. No, 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 no. Are you kidding me? I, I am not qualified. <laughs> Shut up! I need to no, talk. No, no, no. I am not qualified to have this conversation. You're, you're the expert here. I'm just here to facilitate it. <laughs> I'm just the patient who has questions. I know, but listen, you're qualified. I learned from all my patients. I, I learned about the ozone sauna from one of my patients. I wish oh. I could. But she's the one. I'm like, what is that? <laughs> when patients yeah. come to me five years ago, tell me I want to do PRP. I used to send them to Greece because there was no evidence-based medicine on that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what's PRP? So things change. I learn from patients. And, you know, with all my respect to anyone, doctors should listen to patients. I respect you, respect your opinion, because we all have to learn from each other. Yeah, 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 yeah. As like as far as PRP goes, for for me, it, it whether or not there was evidence, I was kind of at the at the point that I was at, I wasn't getting any normal embryos, and so for me, it made sense, uh, evidence or not. I was 
you know, it was something I was willing to look into because I was getting to the point where, you know, I was getting some, some eggs. So I would get like, I don't know, six or, you know, seven eggs that would be retrieved, but, you know, only one blastocyst and then one would go to testing and, you know, most of the time zero would come back normal. So for me, it was worth it to try it. So, you know, it may be someone may be at that same point in their fertility journey where it's that or nothing, you know, and you might find that, hey, it's worth having the conversation about or to find out more information. I agree with you. There's a lot of things that's going up as for me as a doctor and someone who cares a lot about their reputation. You know, I'm always careful using new things and make people pay for things that there's no evidence for or you know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. not you don't want you don't want this reputation uh, you know that oh but but and and so that's why we're a little bit cautious yeah doing right yeah i respect doctors who says oh you know i'm i'm, I'm not familiar with it but don't yeah. say it doesn't work when you don't when we haven't read an article in the last 20 years yeah don't say it doesn't work you know what yeah. i mean so but at the end of the day what i tell my patients is the following Look, I have a 50-year-old pregnant with her own egg after PRP and one cycle of IVF and delivered healthy baby, okay? Oh, my gosh. If I give her a chance, she wouldn't have a baby. Mm-hmm. If we don't try and give patients above 40 and 45 a chance with their own eggs and do different things, how are we supposed to move science forward? Can I ask mm-hmm. you? Right. We ch- I need to try You need to try different things to see. Mm-hmm. This is what I love about Dr. Amy, the egg whisperer. Yeah. She gives everybody a chance like me. And yes. you know what? We've we've had we've had like miracle babies, okay, mm-hmm. and makes us happy. And yeah. we try things on different patients and try different, you know. So so so, and fertility is is an art. Sometimes it's not yeah. just science and medicine. And there's luck. I have to tell you, there's a luck. My yeah. 50 year old are pregnant for a month shot. I have people in their 20s. They, they did five cycles to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's yeah. like the oceans can be like a lake. The eggs are a fish. And you go fishing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I might get fish, bad fish. It's like people, sometimes they get seven boys in a row. Yeah. I'll that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. No, I think that, yeah, I think that's, I think that's nice because when I was first, so when I was first looking into IVF, I had no idea what I was getting into, no idea what I was doing. And I was fixated on these numbers. You know what I mean? When you look at clinic success rates and things like that, I was so fixated on them because I thought that would determine which doctor I should go see. And I later learned that that's not necessarily the case because you can have a clinic that had great numbers, but it, they might push you to donor eggs sooner in order to keep those numbers. Look, all these numbers are, excuse my language, bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bullshit. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Because a lot of clinics and actually the majority, and I respect all of them, but that's okay. Oh, my lab is the best. I have the pregnancy rate. Well, if you tell a patient who's 40, I'm not taking you because you need to go somewhere else or donor egg, of course your pregnancy rate is going to be the highest in the country. Yeah. If you're a patient who's morbidly heavy or whatever, I can't do IVF because you have lower implantation rate, then of course. You, you, so a lot of clinics, they screen the patients who have good prognosis and make them through the IVF to show good percentages. Yeah. So with all my respect to everyone and whoever yeah. put those numbers, I don't look at them. I don't care. Yeah. I'm telling people. I'm not telling you this because 
give me give me a younger person i can get them pregnant with my eyes closed okay yeah but i love challenging cases and i never turn someone away of course my pregnancy is going to be lower because i'm stubborn yes. and i'm yes. having a lot of difficult cases so you can't yes. compare to oranges yes yeah you know what i mean yeah so i believe in these statistics i really don't i report to the cdc and i'm more than happy because we need to track ivf babies to see the health of those babies later on yeah but it's not a, I, I i i think it's irrelevant mm-hmm. to look at those numbers before you choose a fertility clinic yes because a lot of clinics 42 one patient yeah. she told me she saw a doctor uh, appointment two weeks before 42 she went to start ivf they told her you're above 42 we can't take you they were like i was just less mm-hmm. than 40 weeks ago she I, it blew my mind mm-hmm. so so it doesn't it's one day in one week you reject a patient just because she just had a birthday to me it's crazy yeah but i respect my friends yes i'm sure there are reasons for them yes but they need to convince me why this is done yeah because it's making sense to me yeah no i understand i for someone who is over 40 um who's experienced um, that conversation where they said, oh, well, your AMH is this and you're this old, you're likely going to need donor eggs. Let's have that conversation. You know what I mean? I think for all of us who are over 40, who've had that conversation can understand exactly what you're saying. And, you know, just like you said, you know, with Dr. Amy too, she was like, you know what, I'm, I'm willing to try if you are, you know? And I was like, yeah. And she has these conversations with me like, hey, let's try PRP. And I think that it, it is a really nice option to be able to have that discussion. Yeah. Your AMH is 0.1 or 10. Yeah. You need one good egg to give you a baby. Right. First IVF baby in the world, Victoria, was natural cycle baby. Mm. The patient took no medication. Mm-hmm. And that's 45 years ago, almost 46. Yeah. So why we're pumping all these people with drugs, I don't understand. hmm so I, I do a lot of natural cycles. Patients, people get pregnant right away. Mm-hmm. Someone has blocked tubes. The sperm and egg are not meeting. She doesn't have bad eggs. Mm-hmm. Natural cycle, get that good egg, fertilize it, bam, they get pregnant. Mm-hmm. So so premature ovarian failure. Women have premature ovarian failure. They're early menopause before the age of 40. A lot of the eggs are good. Mm-hmm. They don't have a period. I have a lot of those pregnant. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they have good quality eggs. So what I'm trying to say is I focus on the quality more than the quantity. I don't care what your AMH is. Mm-hmm. I just need to give you the right protocol mm-hmm. for your AMH. Yeah. Because the less number of eggs you have, the less food they need. Mm-hmm. And the food is drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If too much food for a low number of eggs, mm-hmm. you're overfeeding them. They're going to vomit. <laughs> yeah. Don't overfeed them. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so this is better for a lot of women about 40. Mm-hmm. They give them Menopure. Like, I don't, I, I, of course, I'm not saying anything about But Menopure, you know they make Menopure? Hmm. Give me a guess. Three guesses. Oh, I don't know. Uh, do, do, do they, <laughs> is it manufactured in a lab? Nope. You have two more shots. Uh, it, comes, Come it comes from I'm some on, animals, on. something. <laughs> it comes from an animal. Nope. Ugh! Not. Ah. Come on, come help you. <laughs> Look, it's from the urine of postmenopausal women. Oh. Meno, menopause. Ur is urine. Oh. I'm not bashing menopure or anything. Yeah. I am menopure. 
But if someone is transitioning to menopause because they have very low AMH, mm-hmm. okay, why do I, I can make menopure from their urine. Why do I need to make, give them menopure? Mm-hmm. I'm making menopure. And I see patients who have very low ovarian reserve, they're going through menopause and they're skipping periods, doing IVF, and they're giving them manipure. Mm-hmm. I can make it from their urine. It's already high. Mm-hmm. If I'm not making sense, please tell me. <laughs> no, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. But like, okay, so when you're over, when you're over 40, um, you have the potential of low quality uh, eggs and low number of eggs what does prp do for this or does it do anything for this so the prp improves quantity quality or both Mm -hmm. or nothing okay the quantity it works and there is a paper in pubmed it's called mechanism of action for prp Mm -hmm. it very nicely done in pubmed and it with 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 mga figures and stuff like that the prp Mechanism number one, it wakes up when you inject it, it wakes up some of the dormant eggs that women have. Mm-hmm. Women and even postmenopausal women, whether you're 40 or 50, you still have 1,000 eggs left inside these ovaries. Mm-hmm. And when you inject PRP, the PRP can wake up some of those dormant eggs. Mm-hmm. So it increases the number of follicles. Two, the PRP improves the quality. If you have bad quality eggs and you put PRP, it improves the white, which is the mitochondria, if you you saw the third three-parent baby, mm-hmm. boost the, that white to cut the egg better in order to have a healthier quality egg. Mm-hmm. I have published a paper, which accepted for publication, that I, it increased four times the chances of having a euploid, a genetically normal embryo, mm-hmm. after PRP, within three months after PRP. Mm. Let me repeat that. Yeah. Women, same women who did IVF cycle one and IVF cycle two, and they did PRP in between. Cycle two had four times higher chance of having genetically normal embryo. Wow. If you have two hours, I'm happy to explain to you the mechanism, but I'm going to make a whiteboard about this one day. Oh, yeah. It improves the genetics because it improves how the X splits its DNA. Mm -hmm. Your 46 chromosome, your partner, husband, sperm, whatever you're using is 46 chromosome, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's 46 chromosome. So your eggs have to split equally into two, 23, 23. Mm-hmm. The sperm and the testicle has to split into two, to 23, 23. Mm-hmm. And 23 sperm, 23 egg will give you 46 chromosome embryo or baby. Yeah. Yes? Yes. I guess the eggs, your eggs right now and anybody's eggs, even at 50 years old, they're normal right now. Right now, they're 46 chromosome. Mm-hmm. But when the egg starts to mature in the follicle and the follicle becomes around 12 millimeters, this is when the eggs, the DNA splits into two, 23 and 23. Mm-hmm. But because the egg, which is the white that cuts the DNA, becomes older, it's cutting unequally into 24, 22 mm-hmm. instead of 20, 22. Now you got bad quality egg, mm-hmm. 24 22 chromosome. So giving the PRP, it's boosting that white or the knife inside the egg to be sharper and to cut the DNA equally to get more 23-23 and hence it gives you a normal embryo. Mm-hmm. Because if you split unequally and 24 chromosome and 23 chromosome sperm, that's 47. That's called trisomy. Yeah. So would if it... 
It, oh, wait, there's another mechanism. Okay. <laughs> keep going, keep going. Theory number three, which is also mechanism. Women have stem cells. We have stem cells all over our body, Victoria. Right now, you have stem cells, scalp, everywhere. Stem cells are virgin cells. They've never have an activity or action yet. When you wake up a stem cell, it becomes functional and it gets a function based on where it belongs. If I am a stem cell and I put me in the army and you wake me up, I become a soldier. Mm-hmm. Stem cell, you put me in a hospital, you wake me up, I become a nurse or a doctor. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Stem cells in the scalp, when you put PRP, they activate and become hair follicles because they belong in the scalp. Mm-hmm. This is how it works for the loss. Mm-hmm. Same thing for ovaries. There's stem cells. You inject PRP, the PRP activates those stem cells and they become ovarian cells. Mm-hmm. And that's why they make new, younger eggs. Mm-hmm. Now. And that's why AMH increases significantly in a lot of studies following PRP. Mm-hmm. You can put new eggs. Mm-hmm. Why the AMH goes after PRP? Yeah. Because there's new eggs that's producing AMH. That's the only explanation. Yeah. That's the theory behind it. So in one, increase quantity by waking up dormant eggs. Two, improve quality by making the eggs split equally. And three, it makes new eggs from the stem cells inside the ovary. So because you say the splitting happens when it hits a certain size, is there a certain time in the cycle that you do PRP or do you do PRP whenever? Well, PRP is like a human growth hormone that a lot of centers give. You need to give it at least two weeks before start any stimulation to kick in. So the answer is, I'm not aware of any study that show that if you do it here or there is better. I do it, I prepare patients for two weeks with S-rays, patches, birth control, whatever it is, depending on the case, of course. And then I start IVF and it's good for three months. So if you do PRP April Fools, which is April 1st, yeah. uh, I don't know, I remember, okay. Uh, <laughs> so it's good for April, May, June. Mm-hmm. And, the- mm-hmm. and so, um, Do you think that there is like a limit to the number of PRP sessions you can do or PRP injections you can do? I am aware, you know, there is one study that they did PRP back to back to back for three times. And they found actually that it could have cumulative effect if you do it. Mm -hmm. But with my experience, I do it once every three months because I'm very careful with people's money and I don't want people to do one every month for three times without enough evidence. Mm-hmm. But I'm not aware also, it's like I'm not aware if you do m- how many egg retrievals is good is bad. You can do as many egg retrievals as you want. Mm-hmm. I have patients with natural cycles. They did 20 retrievals and 20 eggs. Mm-hmm. And they're fine. They don't have any problem. So I'm not aware that there's a limit. Mm-hmm. So in theory, if if someone wanted to do six PRPs, then they could do six PRPs if they felt like they wanted to keep going. Look, I don't see, again, physiologically, I don't see a reason why not. It's a small needle. It's your own plasma. Mm -hmm. People do it for the face Mm -hmm. multiple times. They just do it for the vagina rejuvenation multiple times, not not once. They do over 10 sessions. I'm not aware that Mm -hmm. it's bad. It's your own plated and own plasma. We're not adding anything to it. And we're putting it in a tiny needle that does not hurt anything inside your body. So, again, I don't know what to tell you because I don't have any study yeah. or I don't have patients with an unlimited PRP. But 
Mm-hmm. And again, the- I'm talking theoretically speaking. I'm not sure of why it would hurt. Yeah. I mean, there's no guarantee, obviously, that, you know, that, again, you were saying different people will have different experiences with it. That's so. Right. Yeah. Um, and so you talked about one person who you had at 50 had um, a pregnancy. Are there any other PRP success stories you have that you want to share? Well, it's not just success. They're not stories. There's a lot of people every day. It's not just one or two. I'm being honest with you. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people talk on my Instagram and you can watch that and see them. So a lot of people are shy to talk about it, but it's not anecdotal anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. I see it every single day. At all ages. Mm-hmm. I have patients up 50 year old and five months with their own egg yeah. with PRP and I but I don't know if it's gonna work for you or not or anyone. So of course. spend time on I come here or do anything. But also I need also emphasize that every place does PRP differently. It's like a secret sauce for a place. Yes. If someone tells me, Oh, I did PRP, when I ask them how it was done and how many injections the ovary, I'm like, What? Like I do it so differently. But again, everyone does it differently because Probably this is how they think it works for those people. I, I don't know. But all I can tell you is I would, over the years, I kind of tried many things. And now mm-hmm. I'm doing the pure way I feel and I see it working best for my patients. Mm-hmm. So it, if someone were to have PRP at a different location, uh, it wouldn't be a bad idea <clears throat> to say reach out to you or something if they wanted to try PRP again. Because it sounds like there may be some differences in technique. There are a lot of differences in techniques. Okay. By the way, there's a place that infuses PRP through the vagina like an IUI and make the PRP go to the tubes to the ovaries, which I learned recently. They don't inject it directly in the ovary. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how this works. Mm-hmm. I'm being honest with you. Yeah. I'm not aware of any stuff. Some people do laparoscopy. They go through the belly button to inside the belly and inject. Some people inject one time. One injection in the ovary and they come out, inject in the middle of the ovary. Mm-hmm. Some people inject... One time on the outside, I inject five to eight times on the periphery mm-hmm. where physiologically speaking, this is where to, to catch as much surface area where the eggs are. So everybody does it differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So it might be good that let's say, uh, because the there's no standard at this point in time, it's not like there's one way to do it, that if maybe someone is still wanting to see if PRP could be successful for them, they could reach out to you and say, hey, maybe I need to try Dr. Murphy's technique to see if I can have more success depending on what techniques were used in the past. Listen, I'm more than happy to help. You're welcome to contact me anytime. And I will give you my feedback. It, it, it you know, I, I individualize treatments also for everyone. Some people have mm-hmm. one ovary. Some people have half an ovary because they had cyst removal or endometriosis or whatever it is. You can't, mm-hmm. there's so many factors. You know, there's people who have endocysts. You can't go through the cyst to the PRP. If they have endometriosis or endometrioma, you should avoid it. So you don't want to cause more pain. So many things because we're human. But yeah. I'm more than happy to help anyone with second opinion and more than yeah. happy to give you my contact information. And you see people out of state? Because I know you're based out in New York. So you see people outside of New York? We see patients all over the world. 40% of our patients are outside New York area. We do something called outside monitoring mm-hmm. or OM, where you can be anywhere in the world. We manage your cycle. You just need to find a place that does blood and ultrasound. It could be a gynecologist. It could be a hospital. It could be a radiology center. We get the results the same day and we tell you what to do. But you need to come to us one time only on the day of the procedure, if it's any or PRP. 
but we have patients all over the world, even Hong Kong, everywhere. Yeah. Well, I know you said you like difficult cases. <laughs> so for for us who are 40 and over, um, are what other things would you suggest that we look into if we're 40 and over? What kind, Like PRP is one of them. Is there something else we need to look at? Look, I always tell patients, you know, things that improve air quality is it's improving air quality, especially it's not an, it's not an easy thing. And, and you need to look at the patient by case by case basis. If someone has endometriosis, which is very common, I recommend to them besides the PRP is ozone sauna, which is the ozone, which is we can talk about it next time. It's a very powerful anti-inflammatory agent because endometriosis is inflammation. Same thing with PCOS. Same thing with women who have a lot of immune disorders and, and a lot of high immune system and inflammation, arthritis and psoriasis. Those have high immune inflammation in their body. Ozone sauna, in my opinion, is more important than PRP by lowering their body inflammation mm. in order to improve their quality because eggs don't like inflammation. Mm-hmm. Nobody likes inflammation. Mm-hmm. If I, well, aging is an inflammatory process. Mm-hmm. When we get older, we get arthritis, mm-hmm. right? It's inflammation. Mm-hmm. We get Alzheimer's. It's an inflammatory process of the brain. Mm-hmm. We get macular degeneration. It's an inflammatory process. And everything is inflammation. So ozone is very, very good, in my opinion, for those women with endometriosis, PCOS, or inflammation. Mm-hmm. I like supplements as well. Mm-hmm. Dr. Amy Egwisberg, I'm excellent. She probably knows more than me about that. But also the stimulation and the process protocol plays a huge role. Mm-hmm. You stimulate the eggs and what protocol is extremely important. Mm-hmm. We talked about Menopure and when to give it what now. There's a lot of things that we, we you know, I don't give two patients the same treatments. Mm-hmm. Patients go crazy. And even the same patient, every cycle, I get, even if it's successful, she's like, why don't you do the same thing? Because you did, your numbers are not the same as last month. Mm-hmm. Your numbers are not the same. Mm-hmm. The number of follicles are not the same. Mm-hmm. How can I give you the same protocol? Mm-hmm. Well, you need to kind of tweak out every person and, and do individualized IVF treatment mm-hmm. rather than just, okay, let me give you everything. Because look, it's not a, there are all four medications that we give all of us. Mm-hmm. Clomid, letrozole, folistam, organal F, we're the same, and manipulate. Mm-hmm. It's like cooking. You have salt, <laughs> spice, pepper, <laughs> pepper and... But it depends how much you put of each spice in the dish. It gives you a different taste. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry if I'm talking food. I think I'm very hungry. Yeah, I know. So, <laughs> listen, it's almost 8 o'clock on the East Coast. It's Coast. It's Victoria West Coast. I know, I know. I'm keeping you from dinner. So, uh, yeah. So, But what I'm trying to say, they're all the same, is how to use them, when to use them in the cycle, and how much... Mm-hmm. It matters. Yeah. Yeah. So can I have like a Dr. Murphy one minute ozone talk and a Dr. Murphy one minute uh, IVF at home? And then we'll dig deeper the next time we see you. So ozone is a machine that you sit in. There's a lot of them all over the country, but some of them don't have the vaginal catheter in different settings. So be careful which one you use. The one I use and I did research on this, and I'm doing now research on men, and we're submitting actually a study on men. We can talk about it later. It You do two sessions twice a week for three weeks, and I've noticed that the quality of eggs improves following those three weeks of ozone. 
It's a machine you sit in it naked, you put catheter that blows ozone inside your uterus and the vagina. Mm-hmm. It goes to the ovaries. Mm-hmm. It lowers body inflammation. It's a powerful anti-inflammatory agent, antioxidant, and vasodilator. Mm-hmm. It's good for thin lining as well. Mm-hmm. Now, you do those twice a week. It's a, every session is half an hour. Very relaxing. Mm-hmm. You sweat the toxins and stuff like that in your body, but you feel great after that. Mm-hmm. It's used for other things as well. So, rice. I, they didn't make the machine for me, mm-hmm. but I'm using it for fertility like everything else. That's it. At-home IVF kit is a kit. We have patent for it. During the pandemic, a lot of people cannot come to the office to monitor and all that stuff because they don't want to get exposed. So we came up with, with kit at RFC. We, it has everything you need. Zero injections. It has pills by mouth, vagina, and nasal spray. Mm-hmm. We ship your house. We save tons of money. If you have eight follicles or less mm-hmm. on your baseline ultrasound, call them answer follicles, you qualify for home IVF care. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, you save tons of money mm-hmm. you, because we published on that too. Mm-hmm. That's evidence based We can get up to eight eggs with home IVF care. Mm-hmm. You take the medication, you don't have to monitor. You take it, a self explanatory which day of your cycle you take, mm-hmm. and you come here with us only on the day of the egg retrieval. To the egg retriever and you go back home. Mm. Wow. Is it can, this- I go eat- can I go eat now? Yes, yes, yes. One more one more thing. One more thing. Sorry. Okay. We have a couple of questions. And then and then you can go. I promise. I promise. I'm so sorry. Almost there. You're such a champ. Okay, good, good, good. You're go, such go. a champ. Okay. All right. Let's see. Okay. Oh my gosh. More questions came in. Okay. So, um, Cindy 74 wanted to know, is there an age cap for PRP? There's no age cap. It's done for, it started for postmenopausal women. So there's no cap. Okay. And then, um, let's see this other question, 39 years old. I had a retrieval in January, all four embryos at abnormal did PRP in February. What do you suggest that I do next? Well, I mean, to be she just, so the PRP is good for three months. I would wait to see if the PRP worked. Um, and then, and then before you do anything, but I would recommend, you know, have, have your doctor, you know, choose the right protocol for your eggs because ovaries after PRP, and this is important, Victoria, before and after PRP, the ovaries are totally different organ. In my opinion, they behave differently. You can't give the same protocol and expect different results. You know, you have to be very careful with that. Yeah. Um, okay, and then let me see. Uh, how long after ovarian PRP should you do an egg retrieval for best results? Did you say two weeks? Was it two weeks? At least two weeks. At least two weeks. Wait two weeks and then start. Okay. Um, let's see. And then the other one, the, I have a few other questions, but we'll talk about that um, at our next talk because I think your your body's trying to eat itself right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I think you're done. I think you're at this point. You're like you're ready. Listen, I don't know. Listen, I'm opening my bottle of wine. With that, <laughs> this conversation is about to get a lot better. <laughs> I saw like a thousand patients this week. So, oh my gosh, yeah, go nuts. I'm not going to keep it. But here's the thing. I, you know, I feel like we have so much more to talk about, and we will be on here for eight hours if we continue. So, 
to talk when I'm not hungry. Yes. <laughs> so um, I want uh, people to know how can they connect with you? How can they reach you? If patients are interested in doing PRP with you or doing a cycle with you, how do they reach you? How do they get connected? I am more than happy to help, even if you don't cycle with me, if you have any questions, seriously, feel free to send me a DM, um, Dr. underscore Murphy. I just changed it, actually, um, or, or Rejuvenating Fertility Center. You can send me a DM, or you can go to Rejuvenating Fertility Center, and in our contact us, you can write your question, it comes to me, and then we can reply to you and uh, help you as much as we can. Yeah, and I have to say, when I sent you a DM, you're like Dr. Amy, when I sent you a DM, like... So fast. I didn't, I honestly didn't expect anyone to respond to me. You know, I, I put the question out there and I was just like, hi, um, I found you from Dr. Amy and within like an hour, I think you sent me a message. I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even expect you to reach out to me. So thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. Because look, I mean, it's, it, it takes lots of search for someone to find someone. And I feel like everyone deserves at least a quick answer, whether you know them or not, in my opinion. Now, if you keep asking me about if someone, I, I guess sometimes keep asking me details. It's hard for me to counsel someone. Oh, sure. If I don't know much about it. That's why at some point I say, why don't we have a consultation video and we can chat further? But quick question here, quick question there. I'm more than happy to, to connect with people. I love to know, to know more people. You're very lovely, Victoria. I really mean it. I enjoyed, I enjoyed my session. No, no, no. <laughs> I enjoyed my session. And, um, and listen, we should talk more about fertility and help a lot of people because we love children. Yes, yes, for sure. Well, by the end of this year, I'm done. That's it. <laughs> I said when I hit 10,000 babies, I should retire. So I'm done. After 2022. Well, don't go anywhere yet. If anything, still be available for my podcast, okay? Okay, just for your podcast. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on tonight. I should probably let you go eat. I'm pretty sure you're withering away and your blood sugar is low and you're tired. So thank you so much for spending time with me. Victoria, it's a real pleasure. I wish you and women all of above 40 and 45 to have babies and be very happy. Yes, yes. Well, when I have you back next time, we have a lot more to talk about. So hopefully everyone else will come back to hear what more Dr. Murphy has to say. Together, you and I, we can have the podcast and that's it. Yeah. Hey, you know what? That would make my day. That would be great. We'll just have Let's people on. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. I love it. All right. Well, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, I'll, I'll catch you next time. Okay. Have a great evening. Bye. Thanks. Bye. I want to thank you for tuning in today. I hope you found today's episode helpful. If you want a question or topic covered in future episodes, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at 40 and infertile. Make sure you hit the subscribe button for alerts and new episodes, and I hope to see you back again soon.